Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by Deb Hirsch as we continue our series, Conversations. Please visit us at www.communitychristian.org for more information. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Deb, thank you so much for being here. Um... You've been in ministry for about 25 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've led churches both in Melbourne, Australia, and then more recently in Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an award-winning book, which I am a big fan of. But most of all, you're a good friend and a good friend of, of community. So thanks for, for being here. Um, one of the things we've been doing during this, this series is modeling how to have conversations on tough topics. And sexuality is certainly one of those it tough sure is. topics. <laughs> and it's not only tough, but it's also one of those topics that's kind of... It's just a little bit awkward. Mm. Why do you think we find it so difficult to talk yeah. about it? Partly I think we've never really got beyond this kind of what I call this icky cloud of taboo that hangs upon God's church with all things sexual, I think. It's, you know, we're still very Victorian in the way we talk about it or we whisper when we talk about it. I think we've, we've not learnt to communicate well. I think, um, and historically I don't think we ever have. It's not, you know, p- partly I think it's too when we deal with issues of sexuality, we're dealing with something that's very vulnerable and very personal to who we are. It's also the place that we often carry a lot of shame. And those things are not easy to talk about either. Broader culture is forcing the sexuality conversation back in the context of the church. So I think we are starting to get better. And I think I'm hearing a lot more new conversations, fresh conversations. People are beginning to realise we can just say it as it is. We need to talk about it humanly and raw. Um, but in an honouring way as well that honours our humanity. And one of the reasons I want to talk to you about it because I know you think this is a really important topic. Yeah. Talk about that. Why why is this so so important that we talk about this um, in the church Mm -hmm. and then even in our smaller groups? Well, I think sexuality is core to who we are as humans. It's the way God has created us. It's that part of us that is profoundly relational. Um, So we have to talk about it. And I think from where I stand, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding still in the context of the church. I think uh, in many ways we have a very narrowed down, limited understanding of human sexuality. So I think talking about it helps us to get a language on it and also to understand um, the, the bigger picture of human sexuality, which I think we miss a lot. One of the things that's really important is to start with your story. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you, and I, I know it because I've read your book and we know each other, but I would love for you if you would just tell your story um, regarding this topic, but also how you found your way back to God. Mm. Okay, well, for me, uh, well, I guess why the whole topic of sexuality is very important is because it was very much part of my life uh, when Jesus found me. I was living and I identifying as a gay woman and um, had a radical encounter with Jesus and found myself uh, several months later um, in the context of a church that was in many ways culturally like almost going back into the dark ages where you know nobody talked about such issues and, and it was just a normal part of my life. We talked about gender and sexuality and all that sort of stuff and stepping into the church it was like, oh my gosh, we don't, they don't really talk about it in the church. So I had a burden right from the beginning because it was... Um, a conversation that seemed to be missing. And when you became a Christ follower, I mean, it wasn't just you, it was like you and a whole tribe of folks, right? So describe your tribe and then also tell us a little more about the church that you found yourself in. Yes, okay. 
So it wasn't just me that uh, Jesus encountered. There was a whole bunch of us um, that hung out together and were living in community together. And um, one guy who uh, was a friend of ours, he was the sound engineer of a band that we hung out with, and um, he was also a drug dealer. He was um, picked up by the police one day, not for drug dealing, but for uh, unpaid parking fines. <laughs> I know, it seems crazy. And taken to the local uh, prison to do 10 days. And um, so he thought he'd utilise that time uh, by reading. So he took his mum's big Greek Orthodox Bible into the prison cell. I know, it's, it's kind of a crazy story. And literally opened up uh, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit fell on him was born again right there in the prison cell and uh, he, his brother picked him up 10 days later and he was so full of God's spirit. He was sharing with his brother about Jesus and because he'd been reading the Gospels and his brother became a believer and wrote down a lot of names of people that they sold drugs to and they began to pray through the list. This was their salvation hit list. And were you on the list? <laughs> I was on the list, as was my sister and my dear friend Mark. Probably in the course of six months, about 50 people that we knew came to know Jesus. It was quite remarkable. And, and so then you found yourself in, I think it was called the Christian Chapel? The Christian Chapel, which was a fundamentalist church of Christ um, back in Australia, in Melbourne. And um, we walked into this church Sunday morning and walked down the middle aisle. And as we were walking down, we were looking at them as they were looking at us. The women had on hats and the men had on suits. And we discovered the youth group were in their 60s. <laughs> And we were like, it just arrived from another planet. So it was quite an interesting mix. Um, But that church became our church. Those people didn't have a clue what to do with us, but they knew how to love and they knew how to pray. And they prayed for us uh, regularly and constantly. And that became our home where we were discipled. Eventually, then, you met your husband. Yes. One of the things I I love about you and Alan... um, is you've always been um, friends with a wide variety of people. And in many ways, maybe that got formed back in that early church. Um, And I know you led a church in Melbourne together, and then recently you led a church in L.A. Mm -hmm. Um, Just talk about kind of the kinds of people that you do life with. For whatever reason, God's always had us on the edges. So we always seem seem to be with people that um, a a lot of the churches don't seem to hang out with, which we love, um, partly because it's who we are. So it's been, a, it's been a great journey, and I, I love to live in that context, if you like. It, it brings me life, and it gives me a chance to, to share with others as well. You took all those experiences, um, and then you put them, really, into your book, <laughs> Redeeming Sex, yes. which is a terrific book. You really did, a, you. You really did a, a great job with Thank it. You. Why don't you talk about just a little bit, too, some of, some of your dreams for what you hope to accomplish um, through, through this book. Um, I've always known I was meant to write the book. Um, It's always been a field that I've been immersed in. I did a lot of counselling also uh, uh, as a trained counsellor, worked a lot in the field of sexuality, particularly with sex addicts. But just generally um, conscious that we need to have a better conversation around human sexuality. A a Part of the book, or some of the heart of the book, it is a general sexuality book, but part of it is the LGBT community and how we can build bridges across to that because there seems to still be quite a chasm between the church and the LGBT community. So really just trying to help people be a little bit more relaxed about issues of sexuality because I think there's a lot of fear still around sexuality just to be relaxed and then we're, let's talk about this because we don't do it very well. 
and really is it's an effort to start a conversation. I mean, you have some some real strong thoughts about things here, which are really helpful, but it really is an effort to start a conversation. You don't have to look far to see the debate and the fight that's going on, and I'm not necessarily interested in that because I, I think we can do a whole lot better than fighting and yelling at each other. One of the things in there, too, you, uh, you quote uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is uh, a writer, philosopher, mm-hmm. even kind of a lay theologian, mm-hmm. and you said uh, that he, you quoted him saying, a man knocking on the door of a brothel is in fact looking for God. Mm. Um, and in there you kind of describe, go on to describe the connection, and I found this so interesting, between our sexuality and our spirituality. Uh, I think what uh, Cheston is suggesting there is that what is being sought when we knock on the door of the brothel? You know, it's very easy for us to just think it's about sex. Uh, well, it's, it's actually, a, often it's a far deeper longing and a, and a deeper yearning. And so I, I think as we begin to explore what is it that, that makes us want to connect, and again, sexuality is not just about the act of sex. It's about the hunger of the heart, really. Mm-hmm. And it's about our longing to be in intimate relationships and to, to know and be known and to love and be loved. And I think if we think of our spirituality, uh, which is a, in a sense a bigger concept, it's the same type of stuff. It's our, our need to know and be known, our need to love and be loved by by... God who is beyond us, or the, what I call the capital O, other. Mm. So I think when we look at spirituality and sexuality, we see them as one is the God longing and one is the people longing. And so they're both relational. They're both profoundly well, relational. And in the book, too, you really advocate and then lay out, uh, I think brilliantly, kind of like our, our need to kind of have a broader understanding of sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you really kind of then break it down uh, to give us a better understanding of that. Most of us, when we, when we think of the word sexuality, we think of the stuff of sex. So I'm really trying to say, no, 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 you know, that's, that's almost Freudian thinking when we start thinking like that. Uh, a biblical understanding, in a sense, is a much broader, it's, it's uh, beyond just the stuff of sex. And so that's the first step we need to recognise. Our, our sexuality is bigger than what we automatically It's bigger think. than just the act. It's much bigger than just the act. Okay. It's part of who we are and our, our need to be in relationship. So I usually break it into three parts, and one is our gender sexuality, uh, which often gets confused for our biological sex, you know, and it's, it, our gender is more the way we express ourselves, or a given culture will express what it is to be male and what it is to be female. So our gender sexuality, in a sense, is a lot of the, the roles and a lot of the attributes that we put onto masculinity or femininity. So that's one aspect, and the other two aspects are, are really the the relational sides of our sexuality and, and I put them into the categories of social sexuality and genital sexuality. The social sexuality is all the, the relational needs that we have that are non-genital in nature, okay. let's say that. So it's your need for intimacy, your need for love, your need for physical touch and affection. It's you know where we need to relate to people psychologically, emotionally, physically and even spiritually. It's just our hunger for community, mm. our hunger for Relating now, well. why would you call that sexuality, though? Well, I think it's important that we distinguish because, um, especially when we begin to define and look at male and female sexuality and, and looking at things uh, around the issue of celibacy, somebody who is um, not going to be married. 
So therefore, they are saying no to genital expressions of sexuality. The third category. category. But not necessarily the first or second one. No, no. Yes. So so I think it's helpful to explain that. And and also, you know, if we see the way men and women relate or express our sexuality, you see there's a little bit of difference there also. Okay. What's the difference? (laughs) I mean, I think I I got a hunch, but... Okay. Well, I I think... (laughs) I'm going to have you say it. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think if you, when you're reading in the field of sexuality, most people will still say, even though every human has to navigate gender sexuality and their gender identity, every human has needs for social sexual connection, every human has needs for genital sexual connection. So it's, it's a human thing there. You know, we can see that if, if God has made male and female a little bit different, you know, I don't think it's just our physicality. I think it's our psychology as well. If we look at magazines as an indicator of where people's interests lie, um, I could say to you that, you know, in, in this context, in a Western context, uh, soft porn uh, are the highest selling men's magazines, uh, which again indicates that a little, little bit more turned towards uh, genital expressions. If you look at the magazines women buy, it's a completely different uh, type of magazine. I think what we find in them is there's a little bit of an inconsistency in the context of the church. Like if a man, for instance, brought a Playboy into the church, everyone would have a fit, like, what, what are we doing? But if a, a woman can be just as immersed in some of those women's magazines, and I know you women just... I know it's just for the recipes that we buy those things, but we can actually outsource our own life into the lives of the rich and the famous. It can cultivate a very strong gossipy type of culture. Uh, We buy magazines that tell us that we are inadequate in the way we look and makes us insecure about our faces or our body sizes. So it's also selling us the beauty myth, which is very destructive. So I've come to see that a lot of magazines that women can use can be just as dangerous, and I call them now social porn. I feel that we always put the genital sexual sins to the top of the pile, and I think it places an unfair burden on our men. And one of the things you point out is you lay out those three different types of kind of a holistic picture of sexuality, not just sex as the act of understanding. Mm-hmm. You also talk about um, all of our orientations. I think this is the phrase you use, all of our orientations are broken. Yes. And... Why is that important for us to recognize and yes. understand? Well, um, I've come to see that all orientations are, well, what I say, are broken or disoriented, which means that sin has impacted all of who we are in terms of our sexuality. And I say that, uh, Dave, because when we're talking about the LGBT conversation, it's very easy for people to point to the sexual minorities. We can't just point to one group of people and say they're broken in their sexuality. We are all broken in, in every area of our sexuality. And so some of those, is expressions even the right word? Expressions of brokenness would look like what? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I don't think we have to look far to see broken expressions of sexuality. We see it in, in sexual abuses, marriage breakdown, promiscuity, you know, they're the looking for love through the act of sex. I mean, there's a lot of ways. So I think we recognise that we haven't got it all together. Um, and I think that's a, a good place to start for all of us to say, you know, all of us are broken. None of us are higher than the other in that sense. Let's, let's turn our conversation then because I know part of the authority for much that you talk about in the book and even how you live your life comes from Scripture. Yeah. Um, and part of the good news is that we do have a God. We have a God in Jesus who can, can heal our broken yes. sexuality, whatever yes. kind of brokenness yeah. it is. Um, one of the things you state in the book, too, you say this, in Jesus we find the perfect marrying of sexuality and spirituality. 
Talk about where you see that in Scripture and how, how you came to that conclusion. We very rarely talk about Jesus when we talk about sexuality, yet we must. If Jesus was a man, a, f- a fully human man, then he had to have sexuality. So when I look at Jesus, I, I see, you know, his relationship with God. You know, there was that, that moving aside. You know, he didn't do anything without connection with the Father. So there was the, the spirituality is kind of... You know, we don't need to really speak about that because we know that from what we see. But I think in terms of his sexuality, if you look at the three aspects of our sexuality, if you look at Jesus, the gender, you know, now it's it's kind of hard to kind of... We, we talk a lot what it is it to be a biblical man or what it is to be a biblical woman. It's kind of hard sometimes to pull that sort of stuff out because the way we live out our maleness and femaleness is in the context of culture where they have given norms for what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. But I think what we see in Jesus is we see that he doesn't, he doesn't buy into a lot of the kind of the standard masculine things of, you know, he's in a Middle Eastern culture which was profoundly patriarchal and profoundly this is what men do and this is what women do. But you see Jesus, he doesn't kind of play around too much with that sort of stuff. He moves into realms that are the more female realm when he's... Like, for example? Into, well, into, with children, children. You know, let the children come to me. The, the children were the domain of the woman. Uh, back then. So Jesus is, what he does is he just breaks down some of the male female kind of boundaries, if you like. You know, even just coming as the Messiah for the Jewish people, they're expecting the knight in shining armor, in a sense, the liberator that will liberate them from the oppressors. And he comes and he, he turns that on its head and he ends up suffering on a cross. He was a man that seemed to be very relaxed in his sense of masculinity. And would, you know, often overturn what, what the expectations were, like speaking with women, mm-hmm. allowing women to have access to him and having strong relationships with, with females we, was not the norm for, that, for those mm-hmm. times. So I think he breaks down a lot of stuff that we get very bound up with. He's, he's a lot more freer. With uh, genital sexuality, he was not called to be married. His social sexual realm, you know, he needed friendships and people that loved him deeply and that he could love deeply in order to sustain his full humanity, which I think helped him to be able to walk the path of celibacy. You point out that he's a model for us, but he also kind of points us uh, in, in the right direction. If we're looking at spirituality and sexuality as the two aspects of our relating, you know, our need for God and our need for others, Jesus brings these together beautifully when he says, do you want to live, do you want to live well? Then... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour. Love those that are in your life, the people that are around you, your family, your friends, your neighbour. Do well, honour them, respect them, nurture them, help them to flourish in their humanity. This is loving God and loving others. This is combined. And when you look at Jesus and how he responded to people's brokenness, yeah. how do you think he responds um, to us and our brokenness? Yeah, I think Jesus is quite remarkable. And I think particularly in in areas of uh, sexuality, we see him encountering people that we might call broken. Uh, The woman caught in adultery, the the Samaritan woman up the top, you know, getting the water. I think the thing with Jesus, and, and I think this is really important for us because... We get our sexual ethics mainly in, in, in terms of the New Testament. We get them from Paul. Mm-hmm. So I say to people, if you we, we, we kind of understand our ethics through a lot of what Paul says about sexuality. Um, but if we just have them there um, and try and impose sexual ethics without having what I say the posture of Jesus, 
then it can be really harsh kind of stuff. You know, this is why Paul gets called a homophobe and a sexist and all the rest of it. I don't think he's like that at all. I just think that, we, you know, Paul points us back to Jesus again and again. So I think while, while we learn from Paul, when we put the posture of Jesus, because we don't get a lot of teaching of sexuality from Jesus, but what we do get in him is we get a posture that we can learn a lot from. And I think, you know, whether it's the woman of ill repute that kind of gate crashes the Pharisees' dinner party, who he gives access to. Here is a woman and they're questioning him. Here's the holy man and they're questioning his holiness. Is he what's going on? Because he's allowing somebody who is unholy to come in. Um, and not just that, she, she's touching his feet. I mean, here is a woman that has access to Jesus. So there's a posture there of acceptance. We see that and we see that in the woman caught in adultery. The law said that woman should have died for her sin. Yet here Jesus is there, again, the embodiment of the law. He fulfilled the law and he's showing us we're not going to do that anymore. This is a new way. And so his first words to her after he levels everybody, I don't condemn you, which are words of acceptance. And one of the things you say in the book too, which um, I love, is you say we need to lead with an embrace before Mm. our theology. Am I right about that? Yes. How do we then need to relate and respond to one another? Yeah, and I, that's a great question, Dave. And I, I think, um, I, I think again, that's when we put our, our sexual ethics come first. <laughs> if we lead with that, we, that's when we get kind of in arguments with people and they see us as moralizers and all the rest of it. Um, whereas with Jesus, we see the embrace first, you know, and we know that, you know, while we're yet in the midst of our mess, while we're in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. That's radical embrace right there. And I think if we start there, you know, so in, in a sense, embrace is theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we start there, then we can have the conversations. Um, then we, we're able to dialogue with people and we're able to help, um, you know, bring them to Jesus in deeper ways. Here's what I'd love for you to do, though, too. If you would, would you just leave us with kind of one last word of help or encouragement with regard to sexuality and spirituality? It's kind of to our whole church family saying, you know what? Here's, here, here's what I want to leave you with. I think of all the areas um, of, of our humanness, if you like, that I think is in desperate need of regracing or graced, maybe it's never happened before, I think is the area of our sexuality. It's, it's where we're at our most vulnerable. It's where we feel our pain. It's where our fears are. Because it's relational. Um, and so I would love to see us bringing grace back into the area of sexuality. And I think when we do that, we're going to see healing. We're going to see God's spirit pour out upon people. I think it's the, again, it's that area that is very tender, but we long for it to be graced and we long for it to be understood in a sense, um, in, in a way that isn't currently. So, so I think bring grace back in, but let's begin to talk more about this, be more open and honest about our, our sexuality you know, there's a passage in James where he talks about when we share our sins or when we share our brokenness, we will be healed. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more sharing that needs to take place, a lot more vulnerability in the community of faith, um, a lot more getting alongside and praying for one another. Um, but we've got to get rid of the moralism, you know, the moralistic finger that we seem to get out really easily. Um, one of the things that helps me, I often think when I look at the connections of sexuality and spirituality, I say to people, imagine, you know, it's, it's easy for us in the church to point to the world out there, oh, look at them all, you know, and we do that. I don't know why, but we just do it. 
And um, but I say to people, imagine in humanity's explicit search for sex was an implicit search for God. You know, harking back to the Chesterton quote, you know, what it, there's a longing in people and they're, they're rushing, wanting to fill that longing. Um, let's not moralise about that. Yes, there's a lot of mess goes on, but there's a lot of mess goes on in the church. <laughs> let's stop our moralising and realise that this is a human issue. People just long to be loved. Um, and let's just bring some grace back into it. Thanks. Would, would, you, uh, would you do a fa- me a favour? Would, would you mind just kind of closing by uh, just saying a prayer? Of saying course. a prayer for our church? Of course. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Dave. God, I thank you for the beautiful people Um, that are present now, that are listening now. And I just pray, God, that each of us um, would be able to just understand our own sexuality a little bit more, that you would help us navigate some of the emotions, the feelings, the attractions, the longings that we have. Help us, Lord, to understand ourselves better. And, Lord, help us to understand the other better as well. Help us to, to um, see that our sexuality is part of who we are as humans. It's the way you have created us. And, Lord, that we, we so need your grace in this area. I pray, Lord, as your people, that we would be much better at not moralising about the world, but that we would look to grace and give grace uh, to a world that is broken and that is longing for love and connection and to belong and longing for you, uh, Jesus. So I just pray that you would help us in all of these areas. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Dave. It's been wonderful.